And here comes Milwaukee, Forbes, another three. Oh, no! <laughs> this is the Random Scrub Heat Podcast. Welcome one, welcome all to another installment of the Random Scrub Heat Podcast. I am your host, LJ Cascon. I am joined with Hot Take Harrison as usual, but not as usual. We welcome on a very, very special guest. All the way across the seas, we have Dan from the UK. We're very, very happy to have you. I know we have the official coronation in a couple uh, in a couple days, but we wanted to get our coronation out of the way and welcoming you to the basement. Thank you so much for joining us, Dan. How you doing today? Yes, thank you very much for having me on. I'm uh, I'm good, thank you. I'm feeling well. I'm you know Miami Heat are winning basketball games, so that always puts a spring in my step. So uh, yeah, I'm really, really pleased to be on. Thank you very much for having me. I know it's been uh, a couple of failed attempts, um, mainly because of my fault. The time difference is always tricky, um, but yeah, great to uh, finally join you guys. Awesome, yeah, no, we're happy to have you. We won't waste any of your time. We're going to dive right in here because the Miami Heat currently stand, as we all know, one and one in the series with the New York Knicks. I don't want to overlook too many things, but to get the main stuff out of the way first, obviously, it's disappointing. Game two irritated all of us, I'm pretty sure, because when you got word that Jimmy was out, we were like, okay, this is probably going to be 1-1 heading back to Miami. You got your split, though. But then we saw who was officiating game two, and we said, oh, shit, okay. It really is going to be 1-1 headed back to Miami, and there's nothing you can really do about it. They call him the extender for a reason. You can see it in my name with Scott Foster legacy game. The dude put his fingerprints all over it. He did probably what we wanted Bam to do. Most likely is put your fingerprints all over that game. Unfortunately, one of those things happened. One of them didn't. It was to our detriment. But Jimmy sprained his ankle in game one as the Miami Heat came out and took game one against the Knicks in pretty commanding fashion Two minus of the first quarter where they got outscored by, I believe it was 11. They dominated the rest of that game really took control and never felt like it was out of way. Momentum never really got snatched from them for a good part of three quarters. They were in control. Oddly enough, it was the same exact way in game two, only reversed. First three quarters, I felt very confident that they were in control, despite Jimmy not being there because of a sprained ankle. Of course, we believe him to be back in game three. But I just wanted to go to you guys now. How are we feeling? Let, let me gauge the optimism chart, so to speak. Harry, let's start with you. How are you feeling as we head back to Miami for game three? I mean, this is not going to sound like me, but um, confident. I think I tweeted something like, this is the best I've felt after a playoff loss uh, in terms of viewing the rest of the series. You know, it's not – listen, you tip you tip your hat to the Knicks if they can conti- continue to shoot like that from three, but I thought it was a good game plan by Spo. Um, you're really not expecting uh, Randall, Hart, and Barrett to shoot like that. You know, the, we, ha- we kind of saw the same thing in the Bucks series where – Without Giannis in game two, the only game they won was just a um, insane shooting performance from all of their guys in Milwaukee. So I think that might have been what you got from that Knicks team. Um, you have to assume. I know they're. Be, I know the Heat are being very coy, but um, I don't think they're letting Jimmy like walk around New York going shopping if that ankle isn't okay. And they were just being cautious, right? Your thought process would be, if Jimmy plays on basically one day's rest and anything happens to his ankle, he's probably out for the series. And you could easily look at that series and say, we might've just given the series up to the Knicks. Whereas you let him rest and, you know, you should never be content with sealing home court, but that's obviously the job in a series when you're on the road and when you don't have home court. So get home court back. And I think we're confident. Um, I'm feeling good about this team. I, I like them at home. Uh, the crowd's been crazy. Uh, I think we're kind of back to these like heat crowds that we can be proud of and not have to worry about all the BS we get from other media and people making fun of Miami because we have cool things to do down here. And uh, yeah, I, I feel good about the series. We can get it more in depth about it, but in terms of like where I thought the series would be, I'm pretty sure we'd be at one, one if you had asked me a week ago anyway. I That's where I was at as well. I was, I don't want to, you know, retroist history. I don't want to say, like, I, I knew they were going to split 1-1. I really thought they would get both games. And if Jimmy doesn't get hurt, you're probably looking at a four-game series, in all honesty. But that's not how it happened, you know? I mean, who knows if Giannis doesn't get hurt in game one of the Bucks? Who knows? It, 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 you have to play the cards that you're dealt. We got dealt a Jimmy sprained ankle. But it does look like he's going to be back. Dan, I want to throw to you now. How are you feeling headed back to Miami for game three? I'm feeling like – really really confident in this because 
I don't think Miami even played well in game one. And I think a couple of the players we've even, have, has even said that. I think Max Struess might have said, we didn't play well, yet we won the game. You know, I think that when you look at game two, Jimmy being out, you, again, you automatically think that, okay, we'll take the split, we'll get it back. But we still made a game of that. And everyone's come away from that disappointed that we didn't win. And our best players were Gabe Vincent, Caleb Martin, etc. And it took RJ Barrett hitting 16 points off of perfect shooting in the first quarter. It took Scott Foster bailing them out with two ridiculous calls at the end. And yet they still struggled past us. So, you know, I think the Miami Heat have gone into this postseason on... I mean, we talk about flipping the switch. I think that's well and truly happened. I think this team has has come alive. There's nothing on the Knicks roster that bothers me at all. Of course, they're they're a, they're a useful team. They're a structured team now. They're relevant. Good for them again for the first time in God knows how how long. So they've got things you can you can plan for and you know concern yourself about. But they don't worry me at all. I think that you know, as I said. We didn't play well. We got the win in the garden, the famous garden that ended in heat chance. The let's go heat chance in it. We 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 took that game without playing very well. We took and it took a, a, a pretty, you know, exceptional performance from a, a couple of certain role players from them and some officiating help to get through over the line on game two. And they've celebrated it like crazy. I totally with you. I agree that if this ended to two 0 this would be a four game series. But the, the, honestly, there's nothing that I've seen here that particularly bothers me about the New York Knicks getting 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 past us in this series. I agree too. It's like, it, it, it took, what did it take? 43 points from Kayla Martin and Gabe Vincent in the garden. And people want to say that the garden, the Mecca is some like a luminous figure. Two undrafted players went in and combined for 43 points in, in your home court that we heard Lesko heat chance in the first game. And you, you, you needed legendary officiating to be able to pull it out in the fourth quarter. Granted, uh, Brunson did hit some really big shots. I do feel feel like they're going to have to start going over the screens rather than under them. I get it after the first game. You force him to show you. Like, what do we say in the basement, right? 50. Show me 50. Then we'll respect you. Brunson is getting there now to where they need to start going over the screens because after game one, he couldn't hit anything. Game two, he couldn't miss. So now it's like it's a little bit of you know a mixed bag, so to speak. Let's see how they defend him in game three. I'm interested to see that. Are they going to continue to go under the screens? Because he will continue to hurt you. He's a good shooter. But, again, you have to deal with the, the cards that you have. And Miami isn't exactly a great paint defensive team outside Bam Adebayo. So it, it gets definitely difficult. So I want to just throw back to you guys one more time before we, keep, before we move on. Julius Randle shot over 40% for the second time in his postseason career and then dropped his uh, his awesome hype video. I'm sure everyone saw that. That's inspirational stuff, showing that even if you suck as much ass as Julius Randle, sometimes you'll get something to fall, and you have to make an awesome hype video about it. So are you, does Julius Randle scare you guys at all? Or are we expecting a third Julius Randle 40% shooting game? Because for him, that's like Michael Jordan-esque. Either one of you can take that one. I'll just th- toss it up. Um, I mean, no, I, I don't expect anything good to ever happen to Julius Randle in the playoffs. So, you know, props to him for a, a decent game too. Um, you know, Knicks fans were getting kind of upset with me because I said, I don't really know if they, if they miss the Randle that they got from the Cleveland series. If you look at those stats, um, he was atrocious. And I really think that the Knicks won that series in spite of Randle. So, for me, and I've been saying it, and maybe I won't tweet it anymore because I'm getting burned by it a little bit, but like, I want Randall and Barrett to take as many outside shots as they want to take. Um, you want those guys to believe they're confident because the numbers just say that's not their game. So, listen, if they do that in six or seven games and they beat you, sometimes you have to tip your hat and you move on. I think one of like the greatest tip your hat series for the heat was when they lost to the Spurs in the finals. You're just like, there's not a lot you can do against a team that was shooting that well. Um, And that's kind of how I feel like if the numbers are that lopsided, this is not a good three point shooting Knicks team. Um, They're below average. You just let them shoot. Spoh's going to go with the numbers. He's going to, he's going to leave these guys open and he should. And I think you're right, LJ, if, you know, maybe they need to, change their defense a little bit with Brunson because he's obviously the engine for the Knicks and he's the guy that um, is kind of the thermometer of how they're going to be in the game and how they're going to do. 
But otherwise, you let these guys shoot. I mean, uh, Barrett's been very hot in the first few games. I think it would just be maybe getting in his space a little bit more and not letting him as you know be, uh, be as comfortable getting into the paint. But you let these guys shoot. I, I really think last game we could talk about a ton of stuff and we can get into it too. Um, shading obviously played a role. Uh, the Knicks hot shooting. Uh, they made it. They made some big shots down the stretch. And um, we just weren't able to rebound in the fourth quarter. I mean, that's really why, if you look at everything else you want to talk about, X's and O's and what happened, like, we just we just didn't rebound that well. Um, if you remember LJ before the series started, I, I said that Isaiah Hartenstein, I thought he would be the X factor for the Knicks. Um, he's just – he's a good, uh, good big-bodied big off the bench, and – um, the Heat don't really have anyone besides Bam that can really bang down low with these guys, and so he's going to continue to be a problem if they can't uh, box him out, keep him out of the paint. The Heat really need good defensive possessions for 24 seconds, and when that's over, when the shot's up, they need to be securing that rebound because um, second-chance points will give the Knicks a much better chance of, of winning some of these games. Absolutely. Yeah, I- Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, go ahead. I just want to yeah, just piggyback a little bit on the back of that, because when you look at the reasons why the Heat lost that game, the fundamental reasons were really because Brunson, we, we know Brunson's their, their X factor. He's their best player by a mile. He's got, he's got sort of some, in some ways, unguardable, uh, sh- you know, shooting offense. He can hit that midi perfectly. The Heat lost that game because Brunson done his thing. They couldn't get a rebound when it mattered, uh, which has been, you know, a problem all season long. Uh, we couldn't hit a bucket. I think we scored four points from five and a half minutes down to the buzzer. Uh, and and the officiating reasons that, that none, none of those. Oh, when RJ Barrett went went hot, none of those reasons were because RJ Barrett. Uh, sorry, because um, uh, Julius Randall had a game or or done anything that was of note to make the Heat worry. It's, it, that wasn't a factor, and he's going to be even less of a factor when Jimmy comes back as well. So Randall can just, like you said, they can just let him shoot because I don't see him being a serious factor in this series. I'm okay with like both of you touched on it too. I'm okay with letting Randall and uh, Barrett continue to shoot the lights out. Let them keep trying Brunson. I am worried about because his, his point of attack being able to, to go in Miami's point of attack defense has never been amazing, but it, it has been pretty good in these playoffs to give credit where credit is due. But at the same time, they hadn't really fit like Drew holidays, Drew holiday, right? Like he's more on the defensive end. Brunson's more offensively minded. He's able to pick and probe, go in, use a pick and roll and then be able to hit you from the like a floater in the paint or an elbow jumper that's kind of his game he's not known as an incredible three-point shooter but he's going to knock them down if you can continue to give him open looks so they definitely have to change their their scheme a little bit probably in the second half first half he didn't really do that much i think he had nine points or so in the first half and then just exploded in the second half but to that same exact point of first half second half kind of uh dialogue rj barrett two games now has been incredible in the first half. His shooting numbers are through the roof in the first half, and then it falls off a cliff in the second half. He he didn't even play, really, in the fourth quarter of game two because they didn't really need him, honestly. He didn't really fit. They, they only have enough. I saw it on Twitter. They have enough shot, uh, shot chuckers out there. They don't need him out there as well to take shots away from Brunson and Randall. But regardless, uh, Harry, to your point too, Hartenstein – him being able to go out there and get all those rebounds and extend possessions in massive possessions in the fourth quarter are insane. That's what the Heat need. That's why I was con- kind of confused that Kevin Love wasn't out there as much too. He was doing decent on the boards for what they need from him anyway. Um, but it, you can only do so much with boxing out because I, just once in Miami, I would like for the, the officials to call an over the back on New York. Just once. Just one singular time, and then I'll shut the hell up about it. Because then the way you can put your elbow into Lowry, I don't want to get into all of it. Because it, it, it irritates me. I don't want to relive my PTSD from it. But I want to throw it back to you guys now. How are we feeling exactly, though? H- have our expectations changed at all, especially when we look at the field? This isn't looking ahead so much as it's just looking at the field. Boston didn't look great in that game one. Then they looked pretty damn good in game two. But then again, it was kind of the Philly thing. of you, you men, Speaking about from your mental psyche aspect, you get the split, you're okay with it. That's kind of what it looked like from Philly in that second half, that they were content. They fell down by 10, and then they kind of just gave up. So you look at the field from the Eastern Conference. Are you really that scared of Boston the way they've been playing? Are you really that scared of Philly? Because 
Embiid can get injured at the drop of a hat. Like anything can happen in these playoffs. These have been the injury riddled playoffs. So looking at the whole grand scheme of the East, are you really scared about anybody else that sits in front of you? Uh, if you're talking Eastern Conference, I think this is how I would look at it. Um, if you're talking about the Heat in a close game versus any of these teams, give me the Heat. We, we you know, we spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about how we were frustrated by the clutch games. Why couldn't we blow anybody out? Um, it seemed to be taking a lot out of the team during the season. It was a long regular season, and obviously finishing in the eighth seed, seventh during the regular season, but eighth for the playoffs was not where we wanted the Heat to be. But the clutch games kind of give them a perspective that, um, especially if Jimmy's out there, um, this team can close. They're going to play excellent defense. They have enough defenders to get the stops. And then they have guys that have shown that they can hit big buckets. Um, Jimmy can do it for you. I, we can talk about it a little later, but Bam has hit some big shots in the fourth quarter this season. Gabe had a big shot against the Bucks. I trust Caleb Martin shooting the ball, even if uh, his foot is not on the line. <laughs> um, I really like these guys. I like these guys at the, end of, at the end of the game. And truthfully, I talked about this on the stream after game two. I do like Lowry and Vincent closing together. I like that backcourt. It's pretty good defensively, even though they're small. And Vincent's shown you he'll take the shot that needs that needs to be taken. And while Lowry's a good defender, he's he's pretty good at running the offense. It didn't work exactly in game two, but um, I think it works. And I kind of mentioned that Vincent was reminding me of like Fred Van Vliet in Toronto when Lowry was there, uh, and they were able to win a championship. Obviously, that had a lot to do with Kawhi Leonard, but it's kind of reminding me of the same type of thing. And so in the East, that's how I feel. If the games are close, give me the heat. The Celtics have choked on the stretch. I don't, I wouldn't trust um, Doc Rivers to watch my dog for a few minutes. I don't think he can, I don't think he can do anything. He and um, that he can do. I, I just, I'm just not worried about them. So if you're talking about um, the better coach, it's Spo, um, the best player in the East is Jimmy. And if he's healthy, I, I like the heat. Obviously, listen, if the shooting doesn't keep up and the games aren't close, then the heat, I, you know, I, I don't know if I trust them to um, to be able to close that gap. But if you're talking about close games, if the heat can keep these games close, um, they got a shot, man. I, I, I didn't really think that during the regular season, but now that we're sitting here, it's beginning of May. Um, they have a chance. I think when you look at the sort of talent that goes through Boston, through Philadelphia, etc., the, the the top end talent is obviously there. The, the Miami Heat haven't got that, you know, multiple All Star, you know, like can drop forty on any team, you know, to an extent. So, but I look at all of the teams, and I include the Bucks in this. That they have it, talent will will take you a long way, but it won't take you all the way. Mentality has got so much to do with it. Coaching has got so much to do with it. And, you know, when you look at Boston have got to the finals, the actual finals last year, they've got to the Eastern Conference finals a couple of times. I still, they've still got to prove themselves that they can get over the hump. And that only comes through the mind. You know, the talent will get you so far. You've got to have that ability to be able to get over that hump. And at the moment, they have yet to prove that. The Bucks went out to the eight seed this year. Philadelphia have gone out in the second round on multiple occasions for as long as we can remember. So even though, yeah, you look at the odds to who's going to win this title, the Heat will be near the bottom. I think we're currently around a 20 to 25, you know, to one shot. So that would show you that undrafted guys and they don't have that um, that top-end talent like the other teams in the East have. But mentality and coaching go such a long way in this. And to Harry's point there, when you look at the amount of clutch games the Heat have been in this year, that works to our advantage because we know if we can keep in a game and we can be down the stretch and we're within a, a, a possession or two, then you start to feel like that's when that mentality side of the things that will get you the win. And in that situation, I'm with you, Harry. I'm taking the heat. I'm glad you both brought up the clutch games because I remember on one of the post-game streams, it was probably after clutch game number 50. Like, I don't even know. I was just like, there's something that needs to be said about this team they can't pull away from people, even though they've oddly enough pulled away in more playoff games probably than the regular season so far, which is really funny. But there's something that needs to be said about a team that is mentally strong, 
that can go in there. And you've been through the ringer so many times in the regular season. I already said it. There is something that needs to be said about a team that knows how to execute in close games, in high pressure scenarios, in playoff games. This team does that. They do it very, very well. They nearly closed a game in the Mecca without Jimmy Butler. This team can keep it close because that's what they do best. Whether it's talent that's better than theirs or they have talent better than the opposition, they know how to keep it close. And in the playoffs, that is insanely valuable. And the, the, the thing that I that I get drawn to the most about that is you didn't have Jimmy. You have your closer coming back now for these next two games in Miami. That takes a lot of the pressure off of Bam, who I specifically want to hone in on now. I want to get your guys' opinions on Bam, too, because for me, Harry, I know you specifically talked about it, too, on the postgame show after game two the other night. It's, it's hard for us, meaning you and I, to be hard on Bam because we know who he is. I no longer have these high, insane expectations about him being able to, even though we've seen him drop 40, we've seen him give you 30 consistently in a, in a couple playoff games. That's no longer the expectation that I have for him. So when he gives you a performance where he is admittedly the most talented player on the floor, like he was for the Heat in game two, he's your fourth highest scorer. You can lean in and say, that's an issue. He needs to take more, which he does, which is a fair argument. But expecting him to be the guy and to take you home when you don't have your Jimmy Butler there, that's just not who he is. So for me, it is difficult for him to, to get all this flack from me because I'm like, well, I don't expect you to do that. I expect you to be locked down on defense and I expect you to hit a slightly higher percentage of your shots than you're currently hitting. Because when he pulls up from like eight feet away, I'm just like, I don't know if it's going in. And that's kind of a problem for a, a what, a 6'9", 6'10", player right at the rim. He's shooting very poorly from the rim, and that's something that needs to improve no matter how many shots you take. Whatever ones you do take near that close to the rim, you got to make them. Like, that's just the, the end of it. Like, that's how it has to be. But to get now to you guys now, how do you feel about Bam? Dan, let's start with you, because we did hear from Harry the other night in the post game. Yeah, I think you... Uh... You hit the nail on the head there. Look, Bam Adebayo is, we know exactly what he is and we know exactly what he's going to give you every game. He's an insane defender. He's always going to be one of those best defenders in the league. He's going to stay in front of his guy. He's going to guard their best player and he's going to do a good job. We know that. That's what that's a given. But offensively, we've been saying the same thing now for a number of, well, almost years. The fact that the aggression, the taking more shots, the being that guy. And I think everybody's now, like you just said, everybody's coming to the sort of un- understanding now that we aren't going to expect it off of that off from him on, a, on an offensive point of view. Bam's going to be a very good player in this league from a, a multiple magnitude of years. He's going to be, it is an insanely, there's not many players that can do what he does in terms of a big that is as, as agile as him, that can lock down any defender, in the, any, any attacker in the league. He will keep their superstar quiet more times than he won. He's, he deserves his contracts. We're not talking about any of that. That's all fine. But the only thing that annoys me with Bam a little bit is a lot. There's always been this sort of understanding where, well, is it that he can do it, but Spo doesn't scheme to make him do it? You know, he's got to do his job. Is it, you know, we're not going to get the 30 points, the higher 20 points, because that's not what Spo wants of him. We've got other guys that can do that. Put the ball in Jimmy's hand, Tyler's hand, whoever. That's fine. So if that's the case, then when the game finishes and we've lost, for example, you can go away and you can say, look, I, I kept their superstar down to 17 points and I picked up eight balls and I've chipped in myself with 15 points. I've done my job. We've done well. But you keep coming out, Bam, and saying, I've got to do better. This one's on me. I need to be more aggressive. I need to take more shots. Well, then if that's the case, then surely that's not a scheming point of view. That's what Spo's telling you to do and you're not doing it. So where does we where do we sit here? You know, if you're going to, do say those things and you say it all the time, Bam, when we lose and a game like that, then, then show us, stop talking about it. And I don't think that it then comes to a, again, a bit of a mentality thing. Is he, has he got that alpha in him that he can take over a game? And look, he shouldn't have to do that when Jimmy's on the court. Tyler, to its extent, is on the court. But he should absolutely have to do it when he's up against Hartenstein and he's our best player on the court and he is the best player on the court. You've got to take more than, what, nine shots or whatever he took. You've got to dominate the paint. You've got to go up against this guy and you've got to show your presence, okay? That's the only side of me that annoys me. 
I'm I'm totally I'm a Bam stan. I want him on my team. He's an incredibly likable guy. The league loves him. He's going to bring in other stars, hopefully, in his reign in Miami. I love all of that side of him, but I get frustrated at the the flip side of what he's being asked to do. Because if he's not being asked to do what Spo is creating sets for him or scheming for him, then you don't need to say those things because you've done your job. But you do say those things, then go and do them. That's where I sit. Um, yeah, I think you did a pretty good job of explaining why people have some issues with Bam, Dan. Um, you know, I think, see, my thought, and the, I thought L, LJ opened it up pretty well, is like uh, fans' expectations are all are often going to be a problem with the player. Um, you can't worry about a lot of the stuff that's out of your control. I mean, if guys have issues with the contract, if you if Bam was up for auction tomorrow around the league, people would pay him more to be on their team. So can't really worry about what he's getting paid for what he does and what, and what he brings to the team. Um, he's an all-star can't take away anything he's done in the regular season. Like he's probably, he probably should have more all-star appearances, honestly. So now you get to the postseason and you get to this point where um, I do think scheme is a factor, Dan, but I think it's because Spo kind of knows that he, he's not, you know, I don't think he's expecting Bam Adebayo to take 20, 25 shots a game. I, I don't know if he if he believes that Bam would be confident doing that or it would really help the, the team win, right? Um, last year we talked about it was a ton of screening for guys and he wasn't as involved in the offense. Um, this year we, we expected a bit more because he was having that uh, great offensive season early on and it just kind of petered out down the stretch. And I think the thing that frustrates me with Bam – is you saw that great lob from Larry to Bam where he uh, finished with a ferocious, uh, ferocious, ferocious, sorry, dunk in game two. Thank you. Um, he doesn't get lobs like that often. The only guy who really has consistently looked for Bam when he's out there is Hero, and Hero is not going to be out there now for a few more series. So that's an issue, right? You don't have a guy that's usually getting him into the offense. I don't know if that's on Bam. Bam doesn't often – I don't often see him – uh, pick and pop because he's you know he likes to shoot the jumper or pick and roll and roll to the basket. I don't see that a lot either, and we've talked about this a lot. And I don't know when it's going to get there, but Bam's post game is not that great, so he's not the kind of guy you can just uh, have him go sit on the um, you know down in the paint on I forgot the term out there, but just on the side of the paint and just kick it out to and kick it down to him because he doesn't have the moves to really finish down there. So. You're basically hoping that he's making his free throw jumper or he's getting off a nice roll and finishing a dunk or getting an offensive rebound, putting it up. I don't think there's that many plays in the playbook for Bam. And whether that's because the team looks at him and says, you know, he's not there yet or, you know, in a in a, in a playoff game, we're not ready for that. I mean, we have these questions. I think the frustration is this is a six-year in the league you would expect – uh, marginal improvement every year. And I'm not sure if you're seeing it in the postseason. And I think the other thing that's frustrating, and here's where you get where people get mad about his contract stuff, is you're watching other guys who are not as good of players as, as Bam. We can all objectively say that Gabe Vincent is not, not a Bam out of bio. We could say that Caleb Martin is not a Bam out of bio. Um, and these guys have stepped up in the postseason. They are playing much, much better than they did. You could say they had very inconsistent regular seasons. Uh, Gabe, I think, has had an inconsistent regular season for the past two years. But Gabe Vincent, playoff Gabe, um, let's go, man. I think I, I think he's 11-3 and three as a starter the last two years for the Heat. Uh, so I think that's good. I think that's really, really good from them. But for Bam um, – I think people watch the game and they're just saying, man, what, what's going on? And I agree with you, Dan, whether he needs to change up the post-game press conference or not mention it at all, like you're either, either you are not part of the game plan and that's frustrating to you and you want to be more involved. So you're saying, I have to be more aggressive. I have to call for the ball. I have to find my spots. I have to work harder for my offense. I have to get those offensive rebounds or you just need to stop admitting that you're not aggressive enough because after a while, people are going to say, um, bam, you always say that. And at some point, it's not taking accountability anymore because you have been accountable for the lack of offensive playoff success, but you need to do something different. Uh, 
and I don't know what that is. I I am a bit frustrated with. Uh, I'm more frustrated with the press conference than the game, honestly. Like, you expect more from him. You expect him maybe to take some more shots or get to the line more because he's a big guy and he should be getting, you know, fouled. But um, I'm more annoyed that every time it happens, he says, "Yeah, I got to be better." Okay. Well, we are we are waiting. We are waiting. We are looking for it. We are waiting with bated breath. That's what we want to happen. We all want Bam Adebayo to be the best player on the court when he can be. But I don't know if we're going to get there. And for me and this team, whether it, whether we're talking about this season or going forward, um, it doesn't matter to me if uh, if you expect Bam to be something. They need to bring more guys that make his job easier, and it, and then it wouldn't matter if he's the second scorer or not. If he's the third or fourth scorer but he's playing elite defense, that's going to help the team win. And that's what they need. And I think that's kind of where they need to switch the trajectory. We don't, you don't need to talk about Bam doesn't have to be Zoe. He doesn't have to be Wade. He needs to be Bam. He needs to be himself and he needs to be the best player he can be. And whether that's the coaching staff or Bam himself or the front office or whomever, they have to help him get to that goal and accomplish that. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head as well when it talks about his aggressiveness. I think that's the the calling card, right? We know that that's not who Bam innately is. He doesn't go out and look for a shot. He doesn't go in the huddle like Jimmy did in game five in Milwaukee and say, give me this play. Let me do this. Bam, I don't think does that. And in a game like game two where you could have really used his aggressiveness to come into the huddle and say, hey, Spo, let's run some stuff for me. I know it's tough because, like I said earlier in the pod, they were kind of in control for most of that game too. So it's like, why? If it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. They were nursing about a five-point lead, what felt like the majority of the entire game. So don't really switch it up. I get that too. It was working, so continue to do what's working. But to that same credit, Bam, we've seen him be at his best when you have Jimmy and Tyler out there because defenses respect Jimmy in the playoffs 1,000%. He's the best playoff performer in the NBA. People Defenses respect Tyler, whether or not he's shown it in the playoffs. They know he's an offensive-minded player. So defenses hone in on Tyler. We saw it in the 76er series. Doc, for whatever reason, said, let's not let Tyler beat us. So they honed in on Tyler. Bam is at his best when he is a third scoring option. We have seen that in his career. When he goes to Brooklyn and goes off, I know Jimmy wasn't there for his career high or whatever it was. Tyler was there. They hone in on Tyler. So Bam takes over. You see it in the Celtics series in the bubble. Jimmy and Tyler, they zone in on them. Bam is free to go off and do his thing. When he's looked at as the second or first option is when he genuinely struggles because we've heard the jokes, right? Like no bag out of bio. We know it. Sometimes he shows it, but he's not consistent with it. And that's the main gripe. That's the main issue, right? Because we all know he's capable. We've seen him do it. It's not show me. You have shown me. Now continue to do it because we know you can do it. And that's where I think a lot of Heat fans kind of get frustrated with him. Well, this is this is again. It's you're spot on because we've, as you said, we've seen it. I think he was one of the highest point scorers, um, paint scorers uh, in the regular season. So he can he's shown that he can dominate the paint, which is the whole thing about the aggression. I need to be more aggressive. I need to post up my guy more. I need to dominate the paint. He done that all through the regular season, and especially when Mitchell Robinson is in early foul trouble, which he was. You know, it, it's even more that. So you know, when you see the guys that. Gabe, Caleb, playing their hearts out, doing their job, exceeding their job. All Bam actually really needed to do was just have his usual game. And we win that game. We come back with a 2-0 win. And, and he sort of disappeared. And, that, you know, I, I've given up sort of expecting it because, like we, all of us have just said there, there's other reasons and there's other factors to it. Jimmy on the ball, Tyler not playing, who normally feeds him, etc. I get all of that. But there's no reason why why Bam shouldn't have been much more involved in it and dominating the, the end of that game. Uh, to take that W. And look, we're, we're, I'm a big fan. Most of Rational Heat Twitter are big Bam fans. He's going to be a multiple all-star. And by the way, that's a really good career. But I think now we've got to start accepting the fact that he isn't going to be that high-scoring post, post-season player because it may come down really to more of a mental thing. Is just uh, I just don't think he's got that alpha mentality in him, unfortunately. LJ, can we can we just take a couple minutes? I know we've like... We've skirted on it. Can we can we talk about the refereeing for two minutes in, in last game? Because I just want to go okay. ahead. I touched on it, but you can you can grab the bull by the horns. Okay, so I have a couple stats here. So these are from Tom uh, Tom Haberster on on Twitter. Um, on with Scott Foster refereeing, the Heat have lost nine straight games. 
they're one and eight against the spread. Over the last two seasons, they're one and eleven straight up. They're two and ten against the spread. Um, the to me, the NBA has always had such a big problem when you mention a ref's name, and both fan bases are in total fear of the referee. Um, that's that's horrible. Also, I I want to say this, and I want to make this very clear. I don't like to blame refereeing because I think you just assume both they're going to mess up all game. It's going to hurt both teams. And the better team is usually going to win regardless of stuff that's going on. So I don't want it to be an excuse. Usually you have to win in spite of the rest. I just thought there were so many egregious calls that once they happen, I was like, there's no way we're coming out of this game with a win. Here's what I remember watching the game. The Heat were up by six. Um, uh, Jalen Brunson went to go take a three. Bam ran through uh, Hartenstein, knocked him over they call a foul and they call it a four point play. So they're saying when they make the call, they're saying that the shot is happening at the same time as Bam is fouling Isaiah. So they go to the replay monitor to double check that the call is right. And here's where I do not understand the replay at all. If you cannot get the correct call, why are you going to the replay booth? It makes no sense from a logical standpoint of why you would review the play if you can't get it right. They're essentially going to the booth to be like, what did I call the foul at the time when he's shooting the ball? The answer was no, and they still screwed it up because they didn't want to reverse the incorrect call they made. So whether whether they need whether they what they need to do is the ref the the call needs to come from outside of the arena. From a from a fourth referee, Sakakis needs to be watching at every moment. And, and, he, and that ref, he, she, whomever, needs to be making the call. It's because you're essentially asking the ref to admit he made a mistake. And unlike that stupid basketball commercial where the guy says it's out on me, coach, no one does that. No one ever does that. Um, so that's one thing. That was a crazy play. The moment it happened, I'm watching by myself. I'm saying we're not winning this game. That was a four point play. Cut it from six to two. Then. Caleb takes a shot, clearly changes direction. Gabe gets the rebound, puts it up. It should have been two points. They call it an air ball. One, that can't be challenged, which is stupid. You should be able to challenge absolutely anything that happens on the court. I think you should be able to challenge um, – if the, if the ref lets a smelly fart go, you should be able to challenge that that shouldn't have happened. It just shouldn't – Shout if, out Dwayne Dunman. If you, are, if you are allowing the challenge to happen, you should be able to challenge anything that occurs on the court. Anything. Literally anything that happens. So they can't challenge that. This is a playoff game. Why aren't you going and making sure it hit the rim? You, that's what you're allowed to do. Go do that. And then my other thing is, if they would have reversed it, they would have not counted Gabe's shot. That needs to count. If if something occurs directly after because of a missed call, it counts. It's not like they stopped playing or anything. Um, they literally did that in the Milwaukee series when Kyle got the steal, but then Middleton fouled him. And it was clearly off of Kyle, but they said, "Oh, well, you know, the foul or whatever reoccurred. We're just going to jump it up." I, that, guys, I was at the I was at Game Seven last year in Miami when they when they went back and took away Struess's three. If that's something that you're able to do, which is insane, that should never happen. If you miss and it was call, in bounds too, damn it, but, it was in bounds. But if you're able to go back in 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 the past, you know, some Back to the Future type crap. And take away points, you you should be able to correct the call. And then the last thing to me, and I thought it was another big possession. I think we were up, uh, we were either up by three again or something. It was a huge possession where they got like four different rebounds and or four different possessions, and Hart ended up making a corner three. There were two crazy fouls in that position. One where Randall elbowed Kyle to the floor. He actually like pinned him down in what in a high school wrestling match. And another one where Hartenstein was pushed by a Nick and they called the foul on the Heat player. And so when you're watching this stuff and you're trying to be like, listen, I don't believe stuff is fixed. I just think refs are so incompetent and they get swayed by the crowd and stuff. You see it all the time. Like something happens, they get swayed, they reverse a call. This stuff is, is inexcusable to me. You have three refs on the court. They shouldn't be missing the call. If they do, they need to get something in their head and say, Hey, listen, you miss this call, go over to the side, fix it. The call needs to be made by someone outside the arena. And then, not I don't care about the last two-minute reports, the entire game should be up for review. They do that now with uh, with umpires in baseball. 
they tell you how many pitches and how many how accurate you were. The entire game needs to be up for review. And if you miss X amount, you should be suspended from your next game. There has to be consequences for being crappy. Um, because for the NBA to come out here to critique every time someone opens their mouth about bad refereeing, like, guys, it's constant. People are constantly. And these refs take over the game. You know, he's been retired for a long time, but who could forget Joey Crawford dancing down the court when he wanted to make a call? I mean, he was the look at me, Louie referee. And these guys are bad. So that was longer than I wanted to take, but I thought I just, I just want to say like, they need to work on this. I understand that there's other things going on. The NBA is trying to work on other things that no one cares about. The refereeing in the postseason is very important. You have to care and you have to be open about it. Um, if you miss a call, so be it. Fix it. If you don't fix it after the game, you admit what you did wrong. You you put that ref under scrutiny, and you you fine him or you suspend him for a game, and you figure it out because you cannot you cannot look at a game that ended by uh, where we lost by two possessions, and you look at three possessions where the Knicks got nine points issued. I think the main thing to... Oh, sorry. No, you go ahead, Dan. Just very quickly, because that was brilliant. And I totally agree with everything you said. And I think the the point is, no fan wants to see every single little tiny play reviewed and going to the video center. The game's long enough. We don't need to keep doing that. It destroys the the rhythm and the crowd, you know, experience, etc. But... As you said, Harry, if you can go back seven or eight minutes and take away, go and look at the screen and take away a Max Struess free, which wasn't even out of bounds, and you can miss things that are crucial to a game. Like when that when that shot went up from Gabe, I thought it was an air ball. You know, but after you only got to look at it once. You haven't got to spend minutes on this. You look at it once and you go, it clipped the rim. And from that, exactly that, a rebound occurred. Nothing was going to change other than a heat rebound and a lay in an easy basket. So... You start to question what's the point of having the video refereeing and, and all of that. If, if they're not going to utilize it properly, you should be able to stop and alter score lines, uh, changes, plays, etc. on the reality of what actually happened. And that doesn't seem like that should be rocket science. And I, I'm like you, I don't like to blame officials. I think, you know, it's a tough job, rah, rah, rah. But... You know, how often have we heard Eric Reed and Crotty say like, after after looking at it and coming back from review where they're going, well, that would be an easy overturn. And they're going, are you kidding me? Because it hasn't been. So that is all on the, the whole lot of them. And that's something needs to change. And otherwise, what's the point? You might as well just take away that the, the, the idea of that being there, that screen is to change and review and see different angles to make the correct decision. And yet we're still not making correct decisions. That's wrong. Yeah, what you pissed me off the most, the absolute most, is I might be wrong here, and you guys can tell me if I'm wrong, and I'll be okay with it. I, I swear to God, though, I feel like I have seen multiple times officials go back and review whether or not a ball hit the rim for shot clock violations and giving a team a possession. It is something, to my knowledge, you can review. So why they didn't review it, it's, it doesn't make any sense. But it does also make sense from the standpoint when you literally do look at it. We, we know NBA games have been rigged in the past look no further than the sacramento kings as a franchise we know it existed we don't think it exists to that extent anymore but i mean when the writing's on the wall that this game has now just secured another game in new york that's a lot of money for the league it you can't help but look at that and be like all right it makes sense i get it but can you just not make it so damn obvious yeah and i you know i think kind of what dan was saying is 100 percent right like you either you either uh, get rid of the replay entirely, or you have it as insurance so that the refs, you know, can correct their mistakes because that's, you know, that's what they should be doing. And uh, speaking of insurance, Harry, I'm so glad that you brought up that very special word because the primary sponsor of the basement is Simple Health Advisors. Insurance doesn't need to be complicated. Tell the officials that. Email them or give them a call today and tell them that the basement sent you. Email our boy JP at simplehealthadvisors.com or give them a ring at three two one. Three four five seven seven three eight. Now, as we quickly close here, I just want to go around the horn real quick before we, we we close here, and just say give our give our caps a tip of the cap to one role player that we've really liked so far in the playoffs because we have gotten some really good performances from a lot of different role players so far in the Milwaukee series and t- throughout two games in the New York series. Dan, let's start with you. Who is a role player that you've really really just enjoyed their play? 
Um, I think somebody pulled this yesterday. I can't remember who. And it was really, really tough between two players. Um, I think Gabe Vincent and Caleb Martin have both been exceptionally good. They put they performed above what we expected from them. Um, Gabe is, is, is proving that he is that guy for the postseason. He's, he's showing... He's sizing up, he's showing hustle, he's doing all of these things, he's shooting outrageously well. I think he's shooting about 40% from free. He's taking on the big moments, he's showing that he's got the plums to to, to take on anybody. Um, but I just about have to give it to Caleb because I think as a two-way player, which is what he was, you know, we took him off uh, up, uh, picked him up on a on a ridiculously arguably the best contract league-wide at the moment for somebody that is such a Swiss Army knife that uses his athleticism so well, that can shoot, that can make someone that can defend. You know, I think that he has been explosively good, and um, it, it is an important part of this of this rotation and this playoff run. So I just give just about give the nudge to to Caleb. I think he's been exceptional. Harry, what about you? Uh, Dan did a good job talking about, I think, the, definitely the two best role players for the Heat. So I'll, I'll move on to, um, you know, he, I don't think he had the best game two, but I really liked a lot of what I've seen from Kevin Love in the in the postseason. Um, you know, he kind of went from he came to Miami, he, he wasn't doing as well as a starter, really found his role off the bench, and then was elevated back into the starting lineup when Tyler got hurt. And before last game, uh, he had, you know, the Heat had been undefeated with Love as a starter. So I like the game he's playing. Uh, I'd like him to move up two tiny little steps behind the three-point line. I think they're just just a tad bit deep. I would like just, you know, two steps up on the line. But um, he is uh, shooting well from the field. I think he's doing a lot for them uh, rebounding the basketball. Um, his passes in game one, those long touchdown passes, I know that Aaron Rodgers was jealous uh, on the floor, you know, watching those because – those were pretty, man. And if you can, you know, the Heat don't fast break a ton of team speed. Those were easy buckets that really led to a nice turnaround in game one. Uh, he's also just been a good vet presence. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but on the bench, he's great he, for, you know, whatever's happening. You need guys like that, when, even when they're to continually stay engaged. I also think um, this is also not going to be mentioned a lot. I think Kyle needed another vet to just kind of, get him in line and get him in check, right? He's on the heat because of Jimmy. They're really, really good friends. Um, I don't think there were a lot of other guys who felt comfortable coming up to Kyle and being like, Kyle, we need we need you out there, man. Like, you know, sorry about the injury. Sorry about what's going on. Sorry this isn't the season that you wanted, you know. And I just think, like, having another veteran, a championship veteran who's won before uh, has really helped this heat locker room. So – you know, you did not have a ton of guys that have won championships. They 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 all have they they now all have deep postseason experience, but not championship experience. And besides Udonis, and I think bringing Kevin Love in more than you know his play and they need his three and they need his rebounding is just having another vet in the locker room who can be like, guys, I've been here before. We can do this. And it seems to have like calmed everything down. And um, you know, I hope that continues because we're gonna con- we're gonna need him to. Um, to keep having these decent games, you know, like these 9.8 rebound games, that's kind of what we need from him. And hopefully it can continue and lead us uh, forward past the Knicks. I'm glad you said Kevin Love too, because a fun little stat about Kevin Love, I'm pretty sure I'm right about this. I haven't seen it anywhere, but just to my basic basketball knowledge, I think that Milwaukee series was the very first series Kevin Love had won in his career without LeBron. Because I know he didn't do it in Minnesota. And after LeBron left Cleveland, Kevin wasn't there for any of he wasn't there for this year's playoff run. They didn't even win a playoff series. They lost both uh, play-in games last year. I think that was the first Kevin Love series win in his career without LeBron. So that's pretty cool. And I think we're going to get him another one against New York. You know, But I do think that my player would have to be uh, Max Strews. Weirdly, I you guys can stump me on this too. I think he's the best random cutter on the team when it comes just cutting to the basket. I think Strews is the best on the team at just randomly picking a spot, dissecting, and cutting to the rim. Bam finds him, Gabe finds him, Jimmy finds him. Like all these guys that handle the rock know where Struce is going to be on a random cut. And it just, it's such good random offense. Not the kind that uh, Marcus Smart was talking about that they're running up in Boston. That shit sucks. But the stuff that Struce is able to give you is incredible. And his shooting, granted, in that Milwaukee series wasn't amazing. Everyone else's was, though. So it kind of minimalized his struggles. He's been good in the first two games against New York. 
Um, I'm happy to see that he returned to the game after his injury too, because I was like, man, if you lose Struess and you're stuck with Highsmith having to give you the, all those minutes, I have never – we've been very positive on this on this episode too, so I'm not going to harp on Highsmith too much. He gives you good defense. He really does. I have never in my life seen a professional basketball player that just doesn't know what he's doing on offense. This guy ha- is lost. It's like if you dropped me into China and had me just speak the native tongue, I wouldn't know what I'm doing. I would look like Haywood Highsmith. That's what he looks like on offense. The dude is lost all the time. He dribbles the ball off his own knee and his own leg to get, lead to a fast break for the other team. So I'm happy to see that Struce came back because you cannot survive prolonged Duncan Highsmith minutes at the same time. That's when New York made some runs in game two. Highsmith and Duncan were on the floor at the same exact time. You can't do that. You can't have a massive liability on both ends of the floor. Haywood on offense, Duncan on defense. You can't do it. So I was happy to see that he came back. I know Caleb got a little shooken up too, but I think he's going to be okay. I haven't seen the injury report yet, but come uh, Saturday, I think they're both going to be all right again because for whatever reason, the NBA said, hey, let's give him three days of rest. I'll take it. It's going to help Jimmy look better. So uh, that, we're going to wrap the show there. Dan, what do you got going on? You want to tell the people what you got going on in your life? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on, guys. That was really, really enjoyable. Um, yeah, if you want to follow us, if you're not familiar with our account, um, we follow us at the Miami Heat UK. We are on all social platforms, but I'll be honest with you, it's really only Twitter that we we, we actively engage in. So follow us over there. Um, you can follow some of our stuff that we do. Um, we have got a podcast called Heating Up the UK. Look, if you want to go back and see some of the back catalogue, we've had some incredible guests, Eric Reed, Jason Jackson, Will Manso. Tony Fiorentino, they've all joined me in the past. Um, I'll be honest with you, over the last four or five months, I've toned it down a little bit because, look, getting in for, from work after having two or three hours sleep, watching the Heat play the last game, it's taxing. It's, it was quite too much, so we had to tone it down a little bit. But it is still out there. We tend to post maybe once a month now rather than once a week. But, uh, yeah, follow that. Uh, at heat, it's heating up the UK on all podcast platforms. But, yeah, come give me a follow if you don't know where. We're, uh, we're passionate. We're relatively unbiased. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll give our take where we can. It's a lot of fun interacting with you all. Absolutely. I, I can vouch for him too. I've listened. Dan is a phenomenal guy. Great insight, great basketball knowledge. Thank you so much again for joining us for a nice little impromptu episode between uh, during the nice big little layoff for games two to three. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, thanks for joining, spending some time with your favorite random scrubs. As always, guys, remember to take care and be good people. Need a stop and a rebound. That was the Random Scrub Heat Podcast.